Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Well, hello again, Paul. How's it going? Very good. Very exciting. New songs, new gigs, not long till the new album. So all is good in the Duran Duran world. It is. I think uh, things are really starting to ramp up. I think when we were talking uh, on the last episode that we were saying, you know, now's the time that the band has to just keep churning out some new tunes and everything like that just to, to get the momentum going. And uh, yeah, I think they have delivered with Anniversary. And I think um, from what I've read, it's got some pretty good press, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's classic Duran Duran. I, I love it. I, I love the idea of them writing a tribute to themselves to celebrate their 40th anniversary. I really like that idea. It's not, I don't even think it's self-indulgent. I just think, see if you can, why wouldn't you? And celebrate, because we've said it before, there's very few bands that last this length of time, so why not celebrate it? Yeah, I think that there tends to be a fine line between arrogance and just having a bit of fun and, and, and just accepting that you are pretty shit hot. And I think, you know, they're, they're just on the right side of it that I, I think if, if it had been some other band, I think it would just be an arrogant way to, to, to do it. But it is such a brilliant song and it does seem to take the, the really good elements of, of the last 40 years into the one song. And I love the fact that uh, that John had put it out there, like the, the press release was about there being Easter eggs to the fans. And, and everybody's been talking about what, which which songs are you finding in, in the song? So uh, yeah, I think it's been a really good one. Because I, I love, I mean, I love the start of it, you know, because they'd put out that wee clip of about 12 seconds of the, the drum and the bass at the start. So you were quite intrigued. But there was wee elements of the Wild Boys I felt in it, but also I just think even that that chorus with it, do 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 do, do and that's obviously not the tune, but that's classic. <laughs> that's classic nineteen eighties Duran Duran, which I love. And I think as a Duran Duran fan, for me, it's impossible not to to like that because, as you say, it's almost like a kind of fusion of everything that you you've loved about the band over the decades. Absolutely, and I definitely picked up on on the Wild Boys um, in Simon's voice, kind of a little bit of the the shouty sort of thing, but still really good. I mean. You know, I said in, on, uh, you know, the last single that his voice is sounding awesome for, for being a however old he is these days. He's still sounding great. And, uh, you know, this is just another example that they still got it. Well, tell me this in terms of, so we've, we've heard, so the three singles they've brought out, Invisible, More Joy and Anniversary. How do you rank those three? Well, I knew you were going to ask something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I've been listening to them like, all together. And um, I would have to say that um, Invisible is my favourite, then Anniversary, and then More Joy. That's interesting, because mm. I, would, I would switch it with you. So More Joy for me is still my favourite out of the three tracks. And then I would agree with you after that would be Anniversary. And then Invisible, like you have, I've just put the three, the three songs just almost on rotation. And I think there's a really... I'm really interested to see how they fit in. We've spoken about this before, about how they'll fit in with the full album. I think the three songs themselves fit in quite well when, you, when you're listening to them. And, but I think for me, still just that, because I think it's slightly quirky and innovative, more joy still, still tops it for me. You still bopping around the kitchen in your socks to always, it? Always, 
always. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Well, you know, that that's what music is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you move. And, and if it's making you happy, if it's bringing you more joy, then you can't complain, can you? <laughs> exactly. Although, as I say, I think, I think Anniversary, it's just made me even more excited for the Future Past album because I just think that's a brilliant song. And you kind of get that, you know, you were saying that fine line between you know, maybe been slightly arrogant or just a kind of celebration. And I get the feeling that it will be a celebration as if they've, you know, they, they know it's a big milestone and they're embracing it for all the right positive reasons. So I, that's the feeling I'm getting for this album, that it's going to be something that people are really going to love. I think so. And I think it's going to, fingers crossed, but I think it's just going to, it's going to transcend just being the, the super duper Durannies that will go out and buy it. I think it could genuinely make it into, you know, the the, the top 40 charts and bring along new fans. So here's hoping. I'll move on now. I'm going back into the past. We're hitting now um, the seventh studio album, the second self-titled Duran Duran in brackets or from uh, just uh, urban myth-wise kind of thing called The Wedding Album. So uh, this one, it came out January 93, and uh, it seemed to have marked a nice little corner turning for the band they seem to be wallowing in the backwaters in the in their previous couple of albums and it, it seemed like uh they kind of pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and finally put out a, a decent record it's funny i it puzzled me because obviously i just always thought of it as the wedding album and obviously the covers get the, the wedding pictures of the four band members at the time which i think is a really clever idea i, could, I couldn't understand why you know, obviously the fans or whoever's called the wedding album, why they would have originally decided to call it just Duran Duran again, given the fact they already their debut album was called that. You know, they could even have just picked the title from one of the songs, one of the tracks on the album and just called it after that rather than it seems it seemed very strange. Yeah, it, it's um as we're doing these podcasts, it makes me more and more curious as to how and why some of the decisions that the band made or maybe the record company made as to why they released the singles that they did? Why did they call the songs that they did? Why did they call the albums that they did? It just seems really, really bizarre that they would, it just seems lazy almost just to call the album Duran Duran all over again. And to be honest, when I first started to do the research uh, for the album, I was like, I can't find it on Spotify anywhere because I, of course I was looking for the wedding album. So I, I, it was a, a lesson learned for me. <laughs> I was aware of. What it made me realize is over the years, I've kind of mythologized the album in my head because obviously Liberty was maybe a, a bit of a disappointment. Then obviously the next album is the covers album. And so with that, and, and you mentioned it was the kind of that this album and those, you know, particularly the singles, there was a kind of resurgence, kind of re, a rebirth of the band and they got a chart success and a level of credibility again as songwriters and as musicians. And so in my head, I, I just always thought, well, that was, you know, that was the... That was a great album. And then, you know, then and we could, which we can talk about in the next podcast. Why did they do an album of covers? But actually listening to the album, it's not how it's been in my head for all these years, because I think there are some moments of absolute brilliance and there's some moments of Liberty-esque, shall we say. It is definitely a hodgepodge of, of uh, music, that's for sure. And there are a couple in there that I have definitely scratched my head and, and like, what the hell were they thinking? Why? But we'll come on to that. As we normally do, we put it out to the, the Twitter readers, fans, and that sort of thing, what their thoughts are on the wedding album. So shall we run through some of the Twitter comments that we've had come through? Yeah, and I don't know if you, when I sent you them, and what I think is amazing is as we read through them, uh, which I think was a real big thrill for me, is the breadth of, of comment we've had from all over the world, from from the States, from South America, from Australia, from Europe, which I think is, is lovely for us to think that people all over the world are, are listening to our, our in, in inverted commas, words of wisdom. It boggles my mind because, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about that in the past, about how these podcasts will just kind of roll out there and, and who knows how or when or where they'll be picked up. And yeah, I think it's just a testament that we're infiltrating the Duran Durani world. <laughs> keep it coming is all I have to say because you know and I have said it probably in every single podcast that we've done so far that's one of the, the most fantastic things about Duran Duran is they bring 
people from all different cultures and all different languages together for the love of, of, a, of a great musical band. So I think it's absolutely brilliant. So on that note, I will kick off then with the first tweet that was sent in to us by Paula Bernardi in Brazil. And she said, I switched the opening tune to Shotgun. It was fun. I love the whole album. However, I could do without breath after breath. Shelter might be one of my favorites ever. And as memories, honestly, I really can't remember. How weird is that? Hashtag old age issues. I love yeah, that. I think we can all relate to that hashtag. I think, well, those of us of a, of a certain <laughs> age certainly can. The next comment comes to us from Los Angeles and some that follows us on Twitter, Fangirl the Show, who says our favourites, most of the album, though Ordinary World and Shelter are tops. Least favourite songs, Come Undone, which is interesting, <laughs> and Drowning Man. And a memory of the album is when first hearing Ordinary World, she called up a friend and said, they're back, Duran Duran are back. And also saw them at the forum for both the tour and New Year's Eve that year, loved it. And I'm so jealous because she got to see him in LA and I know the forum, you know, that's where all the, the big bands play and that sort of stuff. So I'm really, really jealous that she got to see him there. Nice one. Then we had one coming from the Canadian American crossover, Kelly, fully vaxxed and still masked. She said, I love all the tracks. Not so favorite is Femme Fatale. When I first heard the album, there was a huge sigh of relief because I didn't like Liberty. You weren't the only one. It is still in my top three fave Duran Duran albums. And I always thought they could have made a fantastic video for Shelter. And, you know, that's quite an interesting point because in their, their earlier albums, I was always talking about their videos. But as time has gone on, they seem to, I think they kind of lost favor a little bit with MTV. And they weren't really so focused on, on videos. I think that the singles had videos made kind of thing, but it just didn't seem to be as much of a focus. Which when we, we talk about too much information, it's obviously they, they're almost having a, are they biting the hand that fed them or, or made them to an extent? Mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> Tomorrow's rain, which is uh, not a weather forecast, but is actually the Twitter handle for one of our, our Twitter followers, says, I remember Ordinary World being played on the radio while moving houses with a two-year-old in tow. That song and Too Much Information would be my favourites from this album. Again, you know, it just the fact that, that songs can evoke memories for you. I think that's one of the most important things about music is it can take you back to a time and place and hopefully give you good memories. But sometimes they'll be interesting or difficult memories as well. Then the next one we have is another one from Brazil, Marcia Sandroni. And she says, my favorite tracks, UMF, Sin of the City, Too Much Information, Come Undone, Breath After Breath. Love Voodoo and Femme Fatale. The Too Much Information video is very special to me because when I watched it for the first time, I was so happy because I knew Duran Duran was back. I mean, to be, to be fair to, to Marcia, it was obviously one of her favourite albums because I think well, she's, she's listed most of the songs as her favourite tracks on it. That's fine, but she has some interesting ones because, um, you know, reading through the, the, the tweets that we had come through, she includes some that aren't necessarily fan favourites. Culture Kiosk who on the Twitter handle is Wales to the World, chooses the favourite tracks, Too Much Information, Love Voodoo, Come Undone and Breath After Breath. Least favourites, Drowning Man and To Whom It May Concern. Memories of the album, he says it's good but too long. I think Falling Angel should have been on the album instead of Femme Fatale, which I like, which should have, which should have been on the covers album. And Ordinary World should be towards the end of the album, not the second track. I like how he's kind of taken the approach of, of like the, the physical placement of, of the songs. And I like people who are like that because they're really getting into the technical nitty gritty side of things. And I'm just like, yeah, I just like the songs. Because <laughs> Fallen <laughs> Angel is one of the songs, I think. We've mentioned it before. At some point, we're going to do a, a non-album tracks podcast. And I think Fallen Angel is one of the songs that, we've, that we'll probably chat about on that. Excellent. Look forward to that one. But um, yeah, I think... Uh, Femme Fatale is a bit of a, a marmite, I think, for us fans. I think there, there seem to be a few people that like it, but then others who, um, yeah, don't think it belongs there. So the next one we have is Jake from Sydney. Way hey to, to the Australians. Nice job. 
What he's saying is at one point, this is my all time favorite album, but it has since gone up and down the ranking. Sits in the middle for me. Highlights being Ordinary World, Too Much Information, Come Undone, Shelter, The Lost Single, Can't Have a Morning Coffee Without Listening to, to Breath After Breath, Solid Song Collection. Do you know one of the things, and again from these comments, which I think will be really interesting, we've mentioned this a few times, that once we get to the end of the, the 15 studio albums, we're going to ask people to choose their, their top five Duran Duran albums, and we'll do a wee interviews and we'll chat through it. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, people, those choices fluctuate, even when people talk about wedding albums. At one point it was, you know, a favourite album, then it's top three or it's middle of the, the pile. And I think these choices change, I suppose, at different times in your life as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that one. Because for me, when I was thinking about when this came out and, and what was happening in my life, uh, my memory of the album, number one, I didn't buy the album. I know that for sure. I think I probably nicked uh, my sister's copy and, and listened to it from there. But um, I had come over to the UK. So I was actually in the UK when, when this album was released. But I have more of, a, of an overriding memory of the albums that were out at the time. It was Annie Lennox Diva and R.E.M. Automatic for the People. And those were like the real, those are the albums that mark the time and place for me. Apart from then Ordinary World and Come Undone, those are the memories that I have of the wedding album. Well, I actually have a vinyl copy of the album. And somebody told me recently that it goes for about 80 or 90 quid on eBay for wow. that album. But yeah, because I presume there was only a limited amount. I mean, it was quite a, a good selling album. There was, must have been only a limited amount of vinyl uh, albums produced. So I was quite surprised about that because I've only got a small vinyl collection now. And I've kept all my Duran, Duran albums. Uh, so I, I was quite surprised to see that, that that's quite a, seems to be quite a rarity. We've got a couple of comments left. One is from Erin McGee, who is based in Seven Hills in Ohio. And Erin says, I always say the wedding album is around number five on my favourite Duran Duran albums list. I'm not sure why it's not higher, because I love so many of the songs individually and not the ones you'd expect. My favourites are Love Voodoo, which she often cites as her favourite Duran Duran song, UMF, Shelter and Femme Fatale. And I'm going to mention later in the podcast when we're chatting about the, the songs, more from Erin as well, just from kind of what she's been saying on Twitter as well. And the final um, tweet that we had came through from Andy in Seville, Spain. Not up there in my top five at all, despite the fact there are lots of songs on it that I love. Listening to it all in one go, it feels dated to me. I prefer Liberty, which is probably a very unpopular opinion. I prefer to listen to tracks off the wedding album, but not as an album. And I thought that was a really interesting point because, you know, I, I have to agree. And, and like I had said at the start of the, the podcast, I really do wonder sometimes what the, the logic and the thought processes are of the band and the record company for putting the, the tracks that do go on the album, because there are some quality tracks on this album, but there are some real... There are a couple of real stinkers, I think. So I could totally see why it would be a more pleasurable listening experience just to pick out the, the tracks that you like. I was saying that I had more from Erin McGee, but I'll just mention it just now, just given the fact of what you just said, that when we'd, we'd put out the call for comments and somebody had said that Erin had put together, which I thought was a really clever idea of, because I think there's, there's a really great album between the tracks of Liberty and the Wedding album but individually, they maybe don't quite hit the mark. And what Erin has done is uh, she's got there's a playlist on Spotify called Liberated Wedding, which is her choice of her best tracks from Liberty and the Wedding album. It's a brilliant idea, I think. And, it, and if you go on Spotify and just search for Liberated Wedding, I'm sure you'll you'll find them. What really struck me as well, which I think is brilliant, and it's brilliant about this podcast, is these things are all subjective. So if you or I or M Dells compiled our list of our favourite songs from Liberty and the Wedding Album into one playlist, it wouldn't be the same as Erin's or it wouldn't be the same as somebody else, which is what I love because not everybody likes the same songs as, as we'll find out in the course of this podcast and other podcasts as well. But I thought what she did was a really, it was a really great idea, actually. Absolutely. And, and yeah, as soon as you said that, it, it reminded me of the, of the, the tweets that I had seen uh, going on back and forth about this one. So yeah, definitely wanted to check out. So as per usual, thank you everybody for contributing uh, your, your thoughts and comments on, on Twitter. It's always greatly appreciated. So 
you know, again, let's put the call out. Everybody, please do feel free to, to pile in with your top three songs and, and you know, give us some, some feedback on the albums as they come up for, for podcasts. So please do keep them all rolling in. As it has become the uh, standard format for our podcast, Paul, shall we load up the uh, episode nine of Duran Duran History from your daughter? I would like to say that this is the highlight of uh, our week or fortnight when I send her the, the words to record. But of course, it's not true. But she, she dutifully does it. So all those years of me being the taxi driver and the, uh, the bank of dad have paid off. So <laughs> this is Rebecca with the Duran Duran story, part nine. Story of Duran Duran, Part 9. In 1992, Duran Duran recorded their self-titled seventh studio album, though it is more commonly and affectionately known as The Wedding Album. The cover features the wedding day pictures of the four members of the band at that time, Simon, Nick, John and Warren. While the album wasn't released until February 1993, the first single came out in December 1992, and Ordinary World proved to be a smash hit. The song reached number one on the US Billboard Mainstream Top 40 and number three on the Billboard Hot 100, while it reached number six in the UK charts. It announced Duran Duran's return in style and the song would later win an Ivor Novello Award in 1994. When the wedding album came out, it reached number four in the UK and number seven in the United States, while Come Undone, another of the songs released as a single, also performed well in the charts and the band also kicked off a world tour to promote the album. Having finished recording the wedding album in early 1992, a year before its release, the band used the intervening period to start working on what would become the 1995 Thank You album. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for pitching in, even if it is somewhat under duress. <laughs> it, you, you will be like, there will come a day when you have paid all your dues back Absolutely. to your dad. I can say anything because the good thing is she doesn't like to hear her own voice recorded back. So I've asked her a couple of times because I think I think it sounds fine, but she's never listened back to the that bit of the podcast. So uh, it's <laughs> fine if I'm slagging her off a wee bit because she's never going to hear me. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, you should. You're doing a fantastic job, Rebecca. Excellent. Okie dokie. Well, let's start off with the first track of the album then, Paul. Uh, Too Much Information, which was actually the uh, the third single off the album. What did you think? I love this song. I think it's a brilliant opening track. I love the acoustic guitar on it. I, I actually think there are not enough acoustic guitar songs, uh, Duran Duran songs. So Save a Prayer. I love that song. I love the acoustic guitar. Box Full of Honey is another brilliant acoustic song there's a couple of acoustic songs on this and I'd love to see them do more with an acoustic guitar and I mentioned earlier on I've said obviously I'm not a massive fan of or I don't really bother that much about the lyrics but I thought it was quite interesting given the fact that particularly in the States MTV really did make Duran Duran I'm not sure if they were biting the hand that fed them but I, I kind of felt as if and, and obviously that, the album came out in 1993 we were looking at it in 2021 there was a, there's an element of almost predicting the future of things like so the internet social media 24 7 news just an overload of information which isn't a good thing and there's an element of it being quite prophetic over and above the fact that i think it's a, a rather fine tune well and um you know i think it was probably around about the time that george michael was having issues with with his record label and I think Prince changed his name to Symbol all around those sorts of times so so maybe it was you know the artists were finally feeling that you know the record companies and MTV had a little bit too much uh, sway over their careers and they wanted to kind of take back control and maybe you know Duran Duran was jumping in a little bit on, on that bandwagon but yeah I, I really like the song as well and as per my usual way of doing things. Uh, I listened to the song and just jot down my first impressions. And my first thoughts were that it was very of the moment kind of sound to this song. 
it reminded me of the the song "Let's Go All the Way" by Sly Fox. <laughs> Random, but but yeah, I think I, I don't know if it was just the style of the of the guitars again, um, maybe that brought that one to mind. Do you know you you've done that a few times for you, which I think your comparisons are brilliant. But I keep thinking, and I'm going to do it after we've recorded this. Go and listen to those two songs back to back. Too much information, and then let's go all the way, and just to see if I can hear what you do. <laughs> if anybody can, I will be absolutely astounded because I think I have a weird ass way of looking at things and hearing things. But there are actually a few of the songs on here that really made my my ear and my thoughts go to other songs. I don't know. Maybe that's just the way I associate things. Uh, on to the next track, then "Ordinary World." I love this song. It's just such a great song. And, you know, I think they absolutely nailed this song because, you know, they, they had the crappy times with Liberty. They seemed to really flounder. They doubted themselves as, as artists. And then they came up with this ordinary world. And, you know, it's like almost like all is forgiven. This really was a song of why Duran Duran are great. Do you know what surprised me, actually, is that because I think... Again, prior to doing the podcast, I would have just presumed there's certain songs in the Duran Duran canon that every fan would, would love, and this would be one of them. And that's not always the case. That some people, for whatever reason, don't like it as much. I would argue, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be my, my top three tracks, but I would argue it's one of the most important Duran Duran songs in the 40 years for exactly the same reason that you've just said, because I think it re-established their credibility as musicians, as songwriters, as a band who were able to produce songs that could be top 10 hits. I know, again, in, in this podcast or in the other podcast, you can argue whether they, they missed the boat in terms of capitalising on that. But I think that song, I, I think it's a brilliant song. I think it's absolutely stunning. Quite acoustic-driven again, which I loved in the back of too much information. And there are certain songs, I think, if you were going to just do an analysis of certain tracks in Duran Duran's history, not necessarily the best songs. That has to be, for me, has to be one of the key songs because I think it, I wonder sometimes if it just gave them enough confidence to continue that maybe the confidence was shaking a wee bit after Liberty and the reaction to that and the fact that it wasn't a brilliant collection of songs, but the, they still knew that they could, they had it in them with that song. And then I think when we come on, for me, come undone as well, that they could still produce songs of the highest quality. Yeah. And I think, you know, probably around the world, even if you weren't a Duran Duran fan, you would hear Ordinary World and you would know it was Duran Duran. And it was just, it just did feel like to me that they had found their sound again. And I agree, you know, about the acoustic guitars. I think there've been comments in the past about Warren Cucurullo having a real hard electric guitar sort of vibe, but he, he seems to have reined it in and, and, and used the acoustic guitar to really, really good effect on this whole album. One of the interesting comments, and I think it might have been when we did the interview with uh, Jason Lent, Velvet Rebel Music, certainly at one of the, the chats, he's not a massive fan of this. I think he thinks it's a, it's a good song, but he just thinks that it's, it's not a Duran Duran song. He thinks anybody could have, it's just a song that anybody could have done, which, I, which again is quite an interesting perspective on that song. And I think what further boosted this this one was that they actually won an Ivor Novello Award for it. And that, from my understanding, that award is, is it given by the industry? So it was almost like the industry themselves were recognizing that it was a, a quality tune. On to track number three, we have Love Voodoo. It's obviously, it's a change of feel. I think the, the first two songs held out for me, the promise of obviously a more acoustic-driven album, an album that could be that could have been one of the great Duran Duran albums. And interestingly, it was a comment I didn't read out in the comments, but C.K. Shortill, who often writes to us, had said that they felt it was similar to Paper Gods in terms of it wasn't cohesive in its style, and you know there wasn't a kind of theme or a, a kind of type of sound that was running through the album which I think is true when you go from Ordinary World to Love Voodoo because it's a total change of tempo. I think it's okay. It's not a bad song, actually. I think it's it'd still be one of my, the ones that I prefer on the album. But even now when I'm listening to it again, not, I'm not sure if Jar's the right word, but it just it, it kind of catches me unawares after the first two songs a wee bit. 
That's interesting because um, I've actually, the notes that I've made for Love Voodoo, I really like the song. I had never heard it before until I, I listened to the album for this. And um, I put like this on first listen and on the second and on the third and fourth and fifth. Um, and I said, I thought that there was quite a, a dreamy vibe to it. And I kind of likened it to, and I thought that it was a good link between Ordinary World and Come Undone. And I could just imagine sitting in like this after hours chill out club, listening to these songs and just being, yeah, this is some good shit. I hear it totally different to the way that you do because you, you think it's quite jarring, but I think that it does flow quite nicely. Yeah, I mean, I, I do quite like the song, but I just you know, mentioned right at the very start, I, I don't think Duran Duran use acoustic guitars as much as I would like them to. And so when those first two songs came in, I thought, this is great. And so obviously... Love Voodoo is completely different, so it's it's quite a change of pace for me when it goes from Ordinary World to that one. That's fair enough. We all hear things in slightly different ways, and that's all good. Okay, now we're going to hit the next interesting one, Drowning Man. All I'm going to say is I'm not going to prejudge the new album, but please, God, make sure that Simon doesn't rap. <laughs> I will echo that prayer <laughs> do you know that I felt Drowning Man was a song you know like and I think we, we touched on it a bit with Liberty that I think sometimes when the band have their eye on what's kind of current and trying to kind of reconnect with the zeitgeist it doesn't work because they are not they will never be the zeitgeist anymore they were in their late 80s the new romantic movement that time's passed but they can still be important in terms of music I thought Drowning Man, there was a kind of 90s clubbing vibe of that thumping beat, even before the, the kind of rapping starts. It just is not for me. I, it sunk without a trace as far as I'm concerned. I thought it was a, it was a really poor track, I think. And me as well. And, and this was um, the beginning of, of me going, what the hell were they thinking, including this on, on the album? You, I mean, we're talking about an album that has 13 tracks. So there, there was a lot of time, obviously, that they had to play around with. Why include this? Just so not even of the rest of the album. It was just odd. Do you know what struck me, actually? That when I was saying to you, I'd mythologized the, the album as being a classic album. And it was only when I started listening back through it. And when I got to Drowning Man, I suddenly thought, hmm, maybe this isn't the classic album that I had always told myself for the last 25 years or so, 30 years. I suppose, though, you just you will always be inclined to remember the good stuff, wouldn't you? So, so it is quite easy to forget these sorts of things. And yeah, I think that's definitely the case for the next blurb. I wouldn't even call it a track or a song. Shotgun, 54 seconds of just yuck. <laughs> <laughs> At least, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not really a fan of instrumentals per se. So at least there was some lyrics and there was a bit. There was a bit of vocals on this, so I don't know whether I, I've no idea. You know, for it only been fifty four seconds, whether it was just the the tail end of another song that they just stuck there, just as a wee break before they hit "Come on Down," which for me is is right up there again as one of their for me one of their, their great songs. I wonder if maybe they did that intentionally then, just a real juxtaposition of a of a piece of crap. Quickly, and then they said into uh, into Come Undone, which is, I think, probably one of their finest tracks ever. Maybe they did that on purpose just to really make Come Undone great. The most bizarre thing I think about Come Undone when we were just, you know, listening to this album ahead of doing the podcast and reading up on it, that, you know, you mentioned already there was 13 songs on the album, which is quite a lot of songs nowadays for, for albums. That was the last song, which was kind of, it was a last minute uh, addition to the album, which obviously is brilliant because it's a, it's a, for me, it's an extraordinary song, but you know, you think they might have, we might have missed out on that. Yeah. Um, I think if I remember correctly, the album was completed and the record label was very, very wishy-washy about it. And it was actually their new management who had pulled back on the release date. And it was that period of time between actually recording the bulk of the album and that new re-release date that uh, I think it was Warren had come up with an important bit of, of, of Come Undone. 
So yeah, if, if it had just gone out according to schedule, we may not, not have ever heard of Come Undone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, for me, similar to Ordinary World, where people even who wouldn't have been fans of the band could see that they knew how to write a good song. And I think Come Undone is an absolutely beautiful song. Again, it's one of those songs where I think if people doubt their abilities as songwriters, I would say go and listen to that because I think it's just an amazing song. And I think it's a, it's a timeless classic because, you know, I think you can turn it on now and you you wouldn't be able to necessarily pinpoint a, a date and time where when it first came out. It is just such a fantastic song. Definitely still worthy of remaining within my top three. That's one that won't ever change for me. So that's kind of putting us about the halfway marker of, of the album. So as per our usual scheduling of events of these podcasts, you took the opportunity to um, interview Morgan Richter, who is an author of a book of essays called Duranalysis. God knows if I've said that right. Apologies if I've totally massacred that one. Well, can I just say kudos to you because I have to say I've read the book. It's uh, Essays on the Duran Duran Experience. If you haven't read it, you really should read it. Anybody, because it's a brilliant book for any Duran Duran fan. There's a real love of the band. There's wit in it. There's words of wisdom in it that will totally resonate with you. But I always struggle with the, the title. So well done <laughs> to you. And and in the course of the interview with, with Morgan, you'll hear that I, I do struggle with the title, but not with my affection for the book itself, Essays on the Duran Duran Experience, which I, I can't recommend highly enough. As always, what we'll do is we'll put the full interview out as a, a bonus episode. And, and again, the reaction we've had to the previous interviews we've done with various people has been so positive and everybody's been so lovely to talk to as well. And people will enjoy the, the full chat with, with Morgan. But here's just a wee snippet of the chat that I had with Morgan Richter. It's a fun book. Again, I was telling you before we started that it doesn't matter. Duranalysis is a completely made up word. So please <laughs> feel free to pronounce it however uh, you see fit. I say duranalysis, but that's that's just me. Because obviously, you know, you've written numerous books. I think on the back of this copy I've got, you said nine books. I'm not sure if you've written more in the interim period. I'm guessing this, is, this one would have been a real labour of love as well, given the fact that you, you're a big fan of the band. Absolutely. Uh, Duranalysis is my only nonfiction book that I've written. The rest have been novels. And it is, as you say, it was a labor of love. I've loved the band for the vast majority of my life. And I consider Durand Round so important to who I was when I was young and who I am now. And it was interesting kind of mining my life to write that book in my, how I've viewed myself in relation to the band. So it, it really is the book that I have the strongest emotional attachment to. Because that, that must be, because as you say, it's your only non-fiction book, but I'm guessing every, so every book that you would write, you will, you'll still have a strong emotional attachment to it, because particularly if you're writing novels, you're investing so much of yourself in each one of those books at the time, so that you have a particular affection for each of them for any given reason. Oh yeah, absolutely. Whatever book I write at any given time is the most important thing to me while I'm writing it. And then I you know, finish that project and move on. And, and then whatever project I work on next becomes the most important one. But even despite all that, the Duranalysis book is always going to be very special to me. At what point, because obviously you've been a fan of the band for a long time, at what point did you then want to, to put that down on paper, as it were? Uh, in around 2011, I had a blog that I was writing uh, Duranalysis essays on where I would pick a, a specific uh, music video. I started with The Wild Boys, which is always going to be my favorite Duran Duran video, and just did a kind of a tongue-in-cheek but very affectionate analysis of it. And, uh, and I, would, I would call that Duranalysis. And I did, uh, I think I have a total of probably 40-some video analyses that I've written up about that. And I just sort of along the way, I had done that for several years, just had the idea that sort of a riff on that idea might make a good book. I just And the, the, the Duranalysis book is an essay collection, and it doesn't deal exclusively with the videos, which my Duranalysis essays really on my website really do. 
so I, I just kind of broadened that to Duran Duran as a whole and uh, tried to work in sort of more of my own personal experience and personal anecdotes instead of just a, a tongue-in-cheek factual dissection of the videos. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Morgan, for, for that one. And like you mentioned, um, Paul, we have been really, really lucky to have these people contributing with interviews, you know, sharing their time with us and giving us their, their insight and views. Moving swiftly on, on to track number seven, Breath After Breath. Now, this was quite an interesting song, I think, um, because it's a, it's a duet and it's a multilingual, shall we say? And I think it still, it still kept a, um, a nice vibe to the whole album. I think it tied in quite nicely. And, and I, really, I really, really liked this song. What did you think of it? This would be one of the ones that I would, I would definitely say is one of my favourites on the album. I think it's a really brilliant song, actually. I really love it. Again, what one of the, the, the joys of this podcast is because you're getting the chance to listen back through the album time and time again, but maybe go back and listen to albums that I haven't really listened to. So if I listen to Jan Duran quite often, I'll just put a, you know, a selection. So they'll, you know, normally Spotify or uh, Alexis will put in a, a selection. It's generally all the better known songs. So being able to listen to the album and remember or reacquaint yourself with songs that you've maybe forgotten about and this is one of the ones that when I started listening to it again, I thought this is this is a really great song. And I that's this would be one of my favorite tracks on the album. Yeah, I I would rate it pretty highly up there as well. And I it just I don't know if it's me just being really, really naive or something like that, but it just it was such a mature sound, I think, this song. And whether it's because it was sung in in you know the different languages, but it was just such a a sophisticated, well-written, well-sung song. Because I think the they co-wrote it with a, I think it was a Brazilian singer-songwriter called Milton Nascimento, who obviously must sing the Portuguese bits in the, the song. The football fan in me, and someone might know out there that anybody who'd know Superli, who's obviously the, the legendary footballer, his full name is Edson Arantes do Nascimento, and I'm thinking... Don't tell me that Milton Nascimento is related to Pele, but I, I couldn't find any any connection. I mean, Nascimento might, for all I know, might be the, the equivalent yeah. of the, the British surname Smith, for example. So, but I, I, I love that the kind of because quite often you hear Duran Duran songs where it's the juxtaposition between Simon's voice and a female voice, but I like the two the two male voices in this, and I think it worked really really well. Yeah, that was one of the, the notes that I had taken on this one. I always enjoy the duets that, that Simon does. He's got a great voice of his own, and I think that he, he can do harmonization with himself, which is really lovely. But when he, when he duets with, with another singer, I think they always turn out to be great songs. Okay, so the next one we come up to is um, UMF. And I was quite intrigued because... Uh, this is another song that I had never heard before and I listened to it on Spotify and it came up with that explicit lyric tag. So that immediately piques my curiosity. I have to say, because I'm a little bit childish like that. So I was like, Oh, is Simon going to get down and dirty about something? So, so I listened with, with interest and I was like, I don't really hear anything much that is explicit. So then I had to do my, my usual research and Googling to find out what UMF actually stood for. So now I know. Are you at liberty to, to tell us? Because I, I don't know. Or do we have to put a parental warning on this podcast if you tell us? Well, I will put... So there's part of the lyrics is ultimate mind and then imagine just what F stands right, for. Okay. And that may well be the most interesting thing about that song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was saying to you earlier on about Erin McGee did the combined playlist and it was at that song that's what reminded me of the tweets about Erin's Liberated Wedding playlist ironically enough I think this might be a song that's on Erin's playlist it wouldn't be on my combined playlist of the Liberty Wedding album it actually reminded me the chorus especially it was like you know some of these 90s cheesy boy bands like you know, I don't know if you remember the, the band Five that were quite big in the UK I mean they that were just the reason why I like the chorus I actually had comment I one of my notes was yeah, I really like this chorus. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> and I just, I thought, 
they can do better than that, surely. Yeah, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from on that one. I, I did quite like the song. I thought it was just a nice kind of jolly song. But yeah, this could fall into the category of um, their try too hard, trying to follow a fad. I'll give you that one. And here comes another oddball, Femme Fatale. Now, the first note that I made without knowing anything about the song was, sounds like Lou Reed, question mark perfect day question mark and lo and behold i find out that it's a velvet underground cover i'm so good (laughs) (laughs) take the rest of the night off i i find this such a bizarre choice particularly if you're writing your own songs i'm not sure why you would put a cover on an album and i'm sure there are other you know people mentioned other tracks that didn't quite make it onto the album barn femme fatale i actually prefer the original it was the, the velvet underground nico sang the original which I think is a better version. And I just wondered if it was, because when I was reading up on the album that they they had already started working on the Thank You album before they wrote Come Undone. So they were already, they'd already in their head, they were thinking ahead to doing a, an album of covers. And I wonder whether that, they just, that was kind of a really portent and a wee taster of what was to follow by sticking that, that song on the wedding album so that maybe it wasn't quite as big a, a shock when they bring an album of covers, including Perfect Day, obviously, the Lou Reed song. I don't remember in any of the bios or anything like that. I don't recall that they, they necessarily stated Velvet Underground as one of their influences. So it's, it's odd that this one snuck into this album and then, you know, another one of their tracks appears. I, I think, you know, how they, they, they became quite friendly with Andy Warhol as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the Andy Warhol, the connection to Velvet Underground, I think it was all part of that kind of movement. Yeah. And the Velvet Underground would have been, maybe wouldn't have been the biggest band in the world, but very influential. Uh, I think they're a brilliant band. So I knew that song already. But And again, sometimes I think, particularly if you like a, a song in a band, it's whoever you hear first. So that can quite often be the, the version of the song that you, you prefer. So I, I would say a strange choice of track to go on a Duran Duran album that wasn't a full album of covers. I would agree. And then we move on to probably the the latter stages of, of the album then, uh, on to track number 10, None of the Above. And um, I had read an article a guy had done on the 25th anniversary of the wedding album, and he kind of went track by track. And he had said that, you know, he felt that there were about seven really, really good tracks on the wedding album. And the rest of them seemed to be just kind of fillers and, and didn't really make a lot of sense. And he was quite critical of these last few songs. Not so sure I agree with him on that one, because I do quite like these last few songs. I know that you always set a lot of store in the last track of, of an album. So we'll see what happens with that one. But yeah, back to um, None of the Above. I think it has a really, really good beat. They, they liken it back to the kind of the funky version of Duran Duran when, when Niles, uh, Niles Rogers was, was working with them. And then they sneak in some guitars that sound a little bit like Santana. So, you know, I think it's got just a little bit of something for everybody in this one. I felt, and again, just going back to what people were saying earlier on, but it's quite a, a disjointed album that they do all the demos in one session or was it over a period of time so there wasn't one influence or you know they had a, an idea of how they wanted the album to sound overall I thought this was a it was actually I wrote it's a lost song looking for an album because it just it seems so out of place on the wedding album and to be fair to it I called it average I thought it was being quite generous I have no idea what it's doing on that album it just seemed completely out of place for me yeah I think you've mentioned an album's gone by where there's tracks on albums and it's just like well why is it there what is its function and I think I I would agree with that one this one doesn't really have much of a function on the album so we'll we'll move along to track number 11 which is Shelter this song for me um it's it's been quite a grower for me you know I thought on first listening it was it was okay but you know after I've listened I probably listened to the album five or six times over the last week or so. And it just, each time I listen to it, I like it more and more. So I think it, I do enjoy this this uh, track. Because you know, you were saying that article that you'd read 
or somebody said there was about seven of the seven out of the thirteen. So I was just quietly going through the tracks there, and for me there'd be five and possibly six, and this would possibly be the sixth one that make in of the tracks that I think stand up out of the thirteen, which is quite a poor return. As the son of a math teacher, I can tell you that's less than 50%. <laughs> uh, do you know what was interesting about this song is it's not a memorable song for me, but I noticed that quite a lot of people who were commenting on Twitter about the wedding album, they tended to talk very favourably of it. So I was quite interested, again, going back and listened to it a couple of times, thinking, right, well, this is it. There must be something in it if everybody keeps saying it's a good song. And I kept listening to it. and I, I was waiting for something just to click for me to go, ah, right, I can see why people really like it. I thought it was okay. As I say, I think if I was going to do that, Erin's combined Liberty Wedding album, there'd be five songs that would probably get on the combined. If if I was struggling for another track, then maybe Shelter. But certainly towards the end of the album, that would be the the one that that would be be okay. And I don't know if it's just because it's swimming in a a, a sea of mediocrity. Maybe by the end, like as, as you're coming up to these last few tracks, you're just like, are we done yet? Well, do you know what? This is because I've said before that I always try and remember back. So that came out in, did you say it was January 1993? Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was married a couple of years, a couple of young kids. So that would have been my, you know, nothing else. I was in that bubble of uh, nappies and sleepless nights, etc. I think that's called domestic bliss. <laughs> <laughs> I still, to be fair, I still managed to make it out to the record shop to buy my final copy of the wedding album, and I think maybe because the album didn't make the impression at the time, although the, the singles in particular were really memorable, and that's why why it's been a surprise to an extent for me listening back through the album. Uh, I was actually surprised. I think the first time I'd listened to it ahead of doing the podcast again in full, I was driving and I'm thinking, and just in my head, I just always thought this was a great album, and that it kind of. Certainly when we go into doing the next podcast about Thank You, there's parts of what I thought of the wedding album certainly informed what, what I think of Thank You, although most of what I think of Thank You will, will still remain. But I was quite surprised and, and certainly disappointed towards, it did, it did seem to just to run out of steam for me. 13 songs is a lot and not enough of them are good enough, I don't think. It's, it is just so strange because they just really absolutely nailed it with Ordinary World Come Undone, too much information. Did they just then go, shit, how do we finish this one off? And and did it just kind of like a, a balloon? And I'm not going to make the sound again on this this podcast, but was it just a balloon again that just deflated and just went fizzle out? Surely that would be like one of the highlights now people listen to the podcast for your balloon impressions. Listeners, let us know. Do you really want to hear me do my balloon impression? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to set up lots of fake Twitter accounts and send in replies saying yes. Go for it. <laughs> and I'll and I'll address them all to whom it may concern. Almost like we intended for that to happen <laughs> and rehearsed it, but we didn't. Honest. So yeah, to whom it may concern. What did you think of that one? What was interesting that. Again, apparently Nick wrote the lyrics for it, which is fine. I thought it was average again. I thought there was a, it can be a power station influence because obviously that, you know, they were quite removed from the power station in terms of even the distance of time. But it was that kind of more rocky type song, which I'm not a big fan of anyway. And so it was just, let's say the whole album was beginning to peter out at that point. And were there better songs that should have been on the album? Maybe. But it was just, it was okay. It was just, Right, move on, next. Yeah, and I I did wonder if I was kind of attributing too much with the fact that it was Nick who wrote the words for this one. And I was thinking, well, he seems to be such a, a great experimenter with sounds and with keyboards and synthesizers and that sort of thing. And I don't know, rightly or wrong, wrongly, why would I assume that he'd then be good at writing songs? But it does seem a little bit of a childish song. And apparently the backstory to this one was it was originally about a lawyer that the band had called Mr. Jones, who the band felt had been manipulating them and kind of doing the dirty on him. Nick wrote the song 
And then this, this lawyer got involved and said, no way, no hell, are you going to use my name, Mr. Jones, in this song? So they went back and had to change it and just tweak a couple of the lyrics to Mr. Bones. So I thought it was, I don't know, was it Sour Grapes on, on Nick's part? And then just to be really childish, just making sure that it was still in there because that must be skirting pretty close to the line as far as legal actions go. <laughs> yeah, I think Mr. Jones and Mr. Bones sounds quite similar. So we'll finish it off with a bit of a balloon fizzling out sound uh, with Sin of the City. So, yeah, I thought it was an all right song. But again, Simon was rapping. Just don't do it, man. And this one was actually based on a, a true event. There was a, a, an arson attack on um, a club in New York City where 87 people had died. And it was, I guess... It was Simon's attempt at a bit of social commentary. And I don't know, maybe Duran Duran don't really fit the mold of being that sort of band. But it was okay, but nothing special for me. I wrote seven minutes, 14 seconds of my life. I'll never get back. I love it when people use their, that sort of phrase because, you know, that was really, really pants. <laughs> oh, it was weird. Look, we're, we're recording this and I, I spent... to. This was the hottest day in September in Glasgow for over 100 years. So I just sat out in the sunshine all day and then I was, I was listening back through the album again ahead of recording this. And it got to the centre of the city and I, I, I thought that, yeah, I thought there was, there was more chance of, of getting to the middle of winter before this song finished. It was just, oh, please, please let it finish. You know, I've spoken about, the, for me, the importance of the first song. I think the last track in the album is really important as well because it, particularly if you listen through them track by track, it can send people away with a because even if some some of the songs in the middle don't quite reach the heights, if you if you finish off with a, a really great song, it can I think it leaves people with a much more positive impression of the album. Whereas I just thought it was it's as poor a song I think I've I've heard in, in the Duran Duran albums today, I have to be honest. I, I wouldn't even say it was average. I don't even think it got that for me. So you liked it then, yeah? <laughs> I'm kind of on the fence to be honest. <laughs> Come on, jump one way or the other, Paul. <laughs> but, you know, interesting point that you just made there about it being, was it over seven minutes long? I was just looking at the, the track listing here. There's some really long-ass songs on this album. What was that all about? You know, I had read a comment that, you know, this was around the time that, that CDs were becoming more mainstream and whether bands were feeling like they just needed to you know, fill a CD up to get the money's worth out of them because they were probably quite expensive. But there are some, aren't songs usually about like three, four minutes long? Well, I mean, the classic is the three-minute pop song. So, for example, Teenage Kicks by The Undertones, which is just one of the greatest songs ever written. I, th I don't even know if it's three minutes. But Duran Duran, I think, do, see that four or five minutes? That seems to be quite often when you listen to songs, their songs take about that, and it's perfect because I think there's a lot going on in the songs and I think that's fine. I think when it stretches over that, seven minutes is that's quite a lot to sustain. When it's a good song, you're happy to listen for five or six minutes, but if it's a, a well, steaming pot, <laughs> no. Blue Monday, what was Blue Monday? Over eight minutes. But that's, I mean, that's a classic, but that's, those songs are few and far between. I think, yeah, if, if you're going over the seven minute mark, that's just then self-indulgent rude words <laughs> I was going to use there but I won't but so would it be fair to say then that without asking you for any choices of your top five albums would the wedding album be in your top five probably in the lower ranges of it yeah even though there were some some right clangers in it I think it's like what you said the highs on this album are so high that it does make you kind of just forget about and ignore the crap that is there. So, so yeah, probably would be in the, the, the lower regions of the, the top half. Would it get into your top five? I haven't planned and thought that yet because I want to get through all the podcasts before I then start marking out what my, uh, my top five are going to be. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I've already got three, I mean. I probably have a couple, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm reserving judgment so far. And of those three, uh, or even of the five, the wedding album wouldn't be... And my top five. So I know that you were talking about like um, doing a, a mashup between Liberty and Wedding Album. 
which one is better of the two, do you think? I think Wedding Album, for the, the same reasons that you said that the highs are so much higher. So, I mean, I think there's maybe three or four songs in Liberty. I'm just looking back through my notes that I think would be decent. I think there's more, there are more highs on the Wedding Album and the Too Much Information, Ordinary World and Come Undone, I think are brilliant songs. And so, yeah, that would definitely feature higher than Liberty. Excellent. Well, as we always say, guys, please do pitch in with, with your opinions on this one. Paul, what are what are our contact details for everybody again? Yeah, well, people can email us. It's uh, durandjuran at paulcuddehy.com. So that's, you can email us about anything. And we're always looking for more people to give us their top three Duran Duran songs. So, you know, just record a wee voice recording on your phone. Just say who you are, where you're from, you know, how you came to be into the band. And then three songs and a wee bit, you know, a wee explanation of why you've chosen those songs. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Albums Duran. Looking forward to uh, to getting the feedback on this one and seeing whether they're going to fall in, well, whose camp they're going to fall in and what their thoughts are, again, on, on it all coming up. And uh, kind of as a segue into that one, we had contribution of top three for Carolyn Roney from Maine. Um, so we'll just uh, put that on here next with her top three. Pretty quick and perfectly formed, but all I'm going to say is respect to you, Carolyn. I am another Roger Taylor fan. So, you know, I absolutely 100% on, on your top three list. Good on you. My name is Carolyn and I'm from Rockland, Maine, and I have my top three favorite Duran Duran songs for today anyways, because as you guys have mentioned, there's just so much to choose from and it's so hard to pick just your top three. But I'm going to start today with my first one, which is Pressure Off from Paper God. I love the combo of Simon and Janelle Monet's vocals. It's just a great dance tune. The second one is Wild Boys from the Arena album. It's just a great rockin' song thanks to Andy's guitar work. And the third one I chose is Is There Something I Should Know? That's the first song I heard by them. Love the video. And of course, being a teeny bopper, I of course had a crush on John and Roger. So those are my top three for today. As you guys have all mentioned, they'll probably change tomorrow or maybe even later on today. But thanks for listening. You do realise now that everybody's going to be listening thinking, right, as long as I say that I like Roger Taylor, then Molly's going to definitely choose my top three. <laughs> well, you know, if there's ways to catch our eye a little bit more than others, then... That's fair enough. <laughs> so, Paul, we come to an end then of um, the seventh album of Duran Duran, and then we've got the next podcast is going to be the best Duran Duran album ever. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> you're, kind of, you're kind of preempting that. The people, there's no surprises then for guessing where you're going to come down on that album. Was I sarcastic? Was I being genuine? Find out next time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm please, again, everybody pitch in with your opinions on that one. Uh, we'll include as many, if not all, of, of your tweets that you send across to us or any emails, that sort of thing. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing what, what people have to say about the next one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a bit like, you know, we spoke right at the start of this one about how we were puzzled why they called this album Duran Duran, but it's become known as the wedding album. I'm puzzled as to, to why they called the next album Thank You and not Wasted Opportunity, but that's just, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more on the next podcast. Let us guess where you might be sitting uh, <laughs> on, on that one then, hey, Paul. It's going to be a challenge because, again, sometimes there's preconceptions, but then trying to listen to the songs uh, and judge them on, on their merits. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to this, uh, the next one. 
I'm giving them a clean slate. I will be like the uh, the BBC, non-judgmental, and I, I will listen to each of the tracks with an open mind. Really? Yeah, that must be a different BBC that I, I watched. <laughs> was that sarcasm or was that genuine? <laughs> we shall see. Excellent. Well, um, yeah, thanks, guys, for listening. And uh, keep on sending in your ideas, your opinions, and all that sort of, sort of good stuff. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Albums Duran or email us at durandurand at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast, and in the meantime... Keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.